What is up, CSGs? In this episode of the Rockets Chop Shop Pod, I'm joined by NBA reporter Kelly Eco, and uh, we talk about you know the current events with the Houston Rockets. Obviously, one being the uh, domestic violence um, allegations against Kevin Porter Jr. Um, and and you know we try to tackle it in a nuanced way. It is a nuanced conversation, and uh, what one thing I personally don't want to be lost in this conversation is the fact that um, this event involves human beings and you know the basketball talk is is what you know our platform is for but i did want to take time prior to the video to acknowledge the fact that um these are humans so um uh you know and and victims of domestic violence um should never be marginalized for sports um but our platform is a sports platform so we're going to proceed with the sports talk um but i do want you guys to be aware that you know we do not in any way um, take that lightly. Most of us, I know me in space, have, have either witnessed or been around domestic violence. And, and me as a father of a five-year-old daughter, um, you know, like y'all heard me on the live stream. I can't say what I would do on, on camera if somebody ever did that to my daughter or my wife or my sister, any, anything like that. But um, I do want you guys um, and know you guys are the most informed and best audience in, in Rockets Kingdom to please support the Houston Area's Women's Center. Um, they are one of the local um, organizations that helps women in the Houston area that are dealing with sexual assault, domestic violence and sex trafficking by donating. The link is going to be in the description of this podcast. Uh, go to the link and donate whatever you can um, to to end this nightmare, not only for women, but just families, because it's something that's traumatic to everybody within the family. So, um, you know, do us a solid hit the link in the description, donate to the Houston Areas Women's Center. And, and you know, let's bring awareness to this thing that's that's plaguing a lot of homes, especially in the minority communities. Um, let's let's all donate and, and try to do do our part in that and, and raising their awareness enjoy the episode we you know we will get into different things with the team how do they pivot uh, as far as with the roster how does the um you know the team try to fill that basketball void the implications of what the rockets are uh pr uh pr approaches with this with their them trying to trade kpj is that the wise thing to do is that smart is that you know we kind of talk about them we talk about kelly's article with uh about dylan brooks so you guys tap in enjoy the show and uh yeah keep rocking the chop shop and we're gonna keep dropping this uh fire Hi, what is up, CSGs? I got a special guest in the house today. It's your boy, Kelly Eco. He is an NBA reporter for The Athletic. You guys know him already. Uh, gives us all the great content we use to cover the Houston Rockets. We used a lot of his stuff um, over this this summer um, to, to kind of drive some of the content here on The Chop Shop. Kelly, what's good with you, brother? I appreciate you for having me on, brother. Thanks for Nah, man, the pleasure, the pleasure is all mine. And uh, obviously, you know, the circumstances around the team right now, is dealing with the Kevin Porter Jr., um, uh, all the situation surrounding that and uh, all the fallout uh, from the Rockets. And one of the things that has come out of this is that the Rockets have um, basically released to the media. You spoke on this. Shamsa spoke on this, that they are uh, fielding trade offers uh, for Kevin Porter Jr. right now and engaging with several other teams. Um, it has also come out that uh, the 
the uh, the thing they're offering to get KPJ off their hands is some second round picks. Houston is actively engaged with multiple teams on a Kevin Porter Jr. trade. Sources tell me that the Rockets are incentivizing a potential deal with several second round draft picks. And so this is really the business of basketball for other teams. This is essentially just the contract of Kevin Porter, which has $15.9 million guaranteed for next season, and then three years non-guaranteed. So the real interest for other teams would be the draft picks where this team gets the assets. But of course, you have to weigh the optics of trading for someone who has multiple charges, including felony assault after the alleged attack on his girlfriend. And so you have to weigh the optics of trading and then likely waiving Porter. For Houston, their goal is to get a player in that can help them immediately, can play immediately. The other side is just getting the assets and also the financial relief that comes with trading for, for Porter. And so if you wait for the league suspension, you get a reduction on Porter's contract in terms of what goes up against uh, your team's financial books versus being on the hook for that $16 million if he's waived right now. Whichever way this goes, Kevin Porter Jr. is nearing the end of his tenure most likely in Houston and, and po possibly in the NBA. Um, one thing that I wanted to, to kind of ask you, because the way I see it, there's three outcomes the Rockets can have right now. There's probably more, but the, the most, the main outcomes, and I'm not sure which one they prefer. The first one being that they do actually trade him to a team that takes him completely off their hands, um, which is what they're, they're, I guess they're pursuing right now. Outcome number two would be letting the NBA finish out the investigation and possibly um, even coming up with a, with a way to void his contract where it doesn't impact the team uh, financially and they can then have some other options from there. And and the third outcome uh, would involve uh, them just cutting him and eating the his contract right now, which it doesn't seem like they want to do. Now, one thing Shams does mention is the word optics. The nuance of this conversation um, is something that we have to be mindful of. In your uh, perspective, and, you know, I, I don't want you to be reporter, Kelly, I want you to be analyst, because I know a lot of people get that mixed up with you. When you write stuff as an analyst, they feel like the team is speaking. I just want to preface that this is Kelly Eco speaking for himself, right? Yeah. Not the Houston Rockets. So as an analyst, where do you think the team should really try to go with with this situation? What is the best outcome you think for them? I think the best outcome for them is if they're able to somehow trade him and get somebody in, you know, right before training camp that can be integrated to the team who, you know, with you, when you look at Ime Udoka and everything he's want, he wants to do with this team moving forward, you know, with the revamp coaching staff, they have a plan to win basketball games. They have a plan to get back to the postseason. They've commonly called this phase two, you know, which is getting back to winning ways. So, you know, if you are to move off of Kevin Porter Jr. and uh, everything he brings, you know, as a as a basketball player, there's a void that has to be filled and pretty quickly. You know, when you look at the second unit, um, a ball handler, a floor spacer, someone that can create for others at times, someone that can, you know, that's that's off that can score and that can defend adequately. You know, you you don't have that right now on the roster in the second unit. So um, between now and I guess training camp, which is like the beginning of October, ideally they would want to get this thing, you know, taken care of just to give them adequate time to, you know, get the person in and, you know, integrate them to the new system. So I think that's kind of what they're 
primary target is right now. Yeah, I think they've also caught a lot of, um, there's kind of a split within the fan base as far as um, the optics and how this looks from a PR standpoint. Um, as we know, PR and sports entertainment, they go hand in hand. It's, right. it's, it's, you know, some people try to poo-poo it like it doesn't mean anything. Um, what I actually believe it really does have, uh, it's really important, right? How yeah. the perception of not only the Rockets fan base, but the NBA uh, fan bases in general of how the Rockets kind of handle this situation. Um, do you think that it was for them to, to try to, because some people want them to just cut them and just, I guess, right. take the loss of, of that. What do you see that as the di- that dynamic of them making the prudent business move, yeah. which to me is the smart thing to do. But from a PR standpoint, there might to me, I think there's some kind of like it does make you kind of think, were, were they moving a little too fast and, and just bringing that to the table is the first really um, response from the team? Well, you know, given given the pure allegations of the whole incident, you know, anything stemming from it was going to be you know, seen as horrendous, right? And any team or any business entity that could potentially capitalize off of that, it's going to be a PR nightmare, right? So if the Rockets are able to trade Kevin, you know, to another team and bring back somebody, you know, the PR angle says you're capitalizing on somebody's tragedy, potentially, you know, with the allegations. And at the other team, the team that gets assets, you know, you're, you're cashing in on again, somebody's tragedy. So from that perspective alone, that's why you have to be very careful with these things. And it, it sucks because this is such a awful situation. And as the two individual teams or wherever they're talking to, they have to at the same time defer to the NBA on what they're trying to do. Because at this point, we don't know if the NBA is even going to allow them to pull off a trade, right? Because there's still Facts. things going on. So <clears throat> just given everything that's on the table right now, they have to be able to face the music and say, you know, this is an awful situation. But as an organization that's thinking as a business, what is the smartest business outcome? What is the smartest business strategy for them to, quote unquote, get out of the red? Yeah, I mean that that's going to be tough. And to me it's 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 very nuanced and I think people are overreacting either way. There's some people that are you know like just taking it like the you know they're doing something demonic and there's some people that are downplaying some of the what you just dis- discussed here. Um, I think for them yeah, it's going to be really finding that line. Honestly, one of my criticisms of Rafael Stone is um his lack of transparency um and talking to the to the to the fan base, the Rockets fan base, through a lot of the issues that have come up over the years. I think this is a great time. I know they're still gathering information, but for me, I think this is a time for him to really step into that light and kind of guide the narrative more than just letting things just kind of go out of control. Um, That'll be something that I I would hope he does. Um, One of the things that's going to happen from this with Kevin Porter, um, you know, on the basketball side and, uh, you know, for those who, don't want us to talk basketball. You know, it's called the Rockets Chop Shop. Um, I'm not Oprah, so I can't really delve into the psychology of why anybody does anything. But we are going to talk hoops. For the basketball side of this conversation, Kevin Porter was supposed to be somebody that, you know, the Rockets were going to rely on heavily, especially with that second unit yeah. coming off the bench um, as a scorer, as a, as a ball handler, facilitator for the team. I mean, he had a, a major role 
um, I'm sure for Coach Udoka going forward. What what are they, you know, what do you think they can do to start to, because I don't per, I don't believe whoever they bring in is going to fill that void because I, I just don't see the market um, being that strong to even replace. You replace what he would have brought. Well, what do they do to, to, to supplement some of those needs? Do you think it's something internal? Are they going to have to um, get somebody, maybe try to make it to the deadline? Or what do you think that um, they can do? So it's a number of routes you can take as a coaching staff, right? Number one, and this really depends on how much progress Jalen Green has taken as a ball handler and a playmaker. And we saw some of that with his stint with Team USA over the summer um, with the select team. But one option is to potentially stagger, you know, kind of like how they did it with Chris Paul and James. Now, granted, this we're talking about two very different levels of playmaking and ball handling in terms of Jalen Green and James Harden and stuff like that. No, but if you've seen enough growth or enough um, reason to believe that there is more room for growth from Jim as a playmaker, you can stagger. Another option is obviously giving more time to Ahmed Thompson, where previously, you know, you there was this thought process that said he doesn't have to be thrown to the fire. Maybe now that's kind of sped up a bit, you know, just because you don't have that that backup ball handler. You still also have Aaron Holiday, you know, the break, the breaking glass in case of emergency type of point guard. If you need just a, a steady presence on the floor, you know, another option, giving the ball, Operation Shangoon, you know, who's already shown that he can handle the ball in, in the half court. He can even bring it up full court at times. You know, you can go coast to coast and putting more trust in him as a post playmaker, top of the key playmaker, you know, operating out of the short role, being able to get shooters open. You can just run more two-man game with him and Freddie. You can run kind of what we saw towards the end of last season with him and Jalen Green. You know, there's there are ways to augment, you know, the loss of Kevin Porter's playmaking from what they have right now. Because I do agree with you. Whoever they whoever they if they do bring in somebody, it's not going to be like it's last minute, right? So it's not going to right. be at the same level. Because even though, you know, Kevin wasn't a perfect "Quote unquote point guard." He had he had improved since his time coming over from Cleveland. So you do lose that skill set, but there are ways to augment it. Like even hell, you know, like Dylan Brooks, we saw with yeah. Team Canada, he was able to handle the ball some, and he has shown at times the way he can be, you know, a serviceable option with the ball in his hand. So there are different ways you can get creative, and, and I do think that if there's any coach that can get the best out of those guys right now, it should be Emi Odoka. Yeah. And one thing about Coach Udoka that, you know, I noticed from his time in Boston was that he experimented with a lot of different types right. of lineups, right. whether it was three guard. I've even seen they've done four guard lineups um, where or or lineups where Tatum and Brown would in, basically initiate from the wing yep. um, a lot. So I think we got a little preview of that in the summer league with them using Jabari and Tari kind of being the main initiators. Um, uh, getting into ball screen actions with the bigs. So I, I think it's going to be a like a community approach from the team to be able to pick up yeah. that slack. Um, as far as with the young guys, do you, you know, a lot of people have said this may open up some things for Cam Whitmore. Do you see that as a thing or do you think his path as far, no. you know, is still not unchanged by this? No, I mean, there's always the possibility that he just blows everyone sucks out of the water in camp. But, you know, as the roster is currently constructed, even without Kevin, you know, they're still pretty crowded, you know, at his position trying to get onto the floor. And he still needs, 
a lot of work in terms of just processing speed, just repetition, you know, decision making. Because even though he, you know, at Summer League he won MVP, he was a physical force. He kind of showcased that he can be a three level scorer. You know, he's athletic in the open floor. He's a he's he's a blur. But we also saw the other side of the game. You know, where he kind of rushes things or he forces things and needs to slow down a bit. So um, I, I think the more the smarter strategy would be to, you know, see what you have in Amen Thompson, right? Which is a guy that you drafted number four overall, who is someone that you scouted for a long time and a number of teams super high on their boards. And now he's on your roster. And you saw, even though he only played one game in summer league, you kind of saw this kid is special, right? So you pair that you have, Fred Van Vliet, which is an, an NBA champion, uh, who just coming off of a career year in assists. Um, Alperen Shingun, who's also quality. Like, there are a number of good options on this team that can handle the ball. And like you said, we, we saw even Jabari and Tari, like, even get step into that uncomfortable zone and mm-hmm. put the ball in their hands and force them to create, to kind of speed up their own development as well. So... All things being considered, I, I think they still have enough. It might not be as perfect as they might have thought it a week ago, but you know, th- there's still enough meat on the bones to kind of get things done here. Now, one thing that you know, Kevin was uh, elite at was off-ball shooting, right? And one of the biggest holes I see on this roster is shooting. Um, is there a way that they could address th- that issue within this season? Or do you think that's something that they, they're they just going to wait and see who comes up as far as with the current roster? You know, Jabari was slated to be coming out of college, supposed to be like this elite sniper. Yeah. Obviously, I think Jalen Green has a level of shooting that he hasn't shown that's still available. Fred is a decent shooter. Uh, Dylan, we'll talk about him. I, I don't think I'll call him a sniper, but he's he can hit his open shots. He's a, like a, he's a 40% uh off, like if it's open threes, he can hit his open threes, yeah. basically. Um, but still, there are a lot of a lot of questions there. How do you think that that they work with that going forward? Because I, I think it's going to be it's a, a big problem. I think it's, it's yeah. going to be a problem that raises its head all year. It's just you didn't you didn't do enough to shore up that deficiency. Now, granted, um, like you said, Jabari was supposed to be this three and D forty percent Rashard Lewis type guy, and you know, he hasn't shown that yet. I know he did play really well in summer league, so there's the hope that he can step in and right. keep building that momentum as he did to end the year and maybe get to a 37, 38% shooter. Jalen Green, like you said, real streaky. Um, you know, Fred Van Vliet had a down year, but he's someone that can also, he still finished, I think, top 30 and threes made last season. So it's still, he's still a quality shooter, but, you know, I, I just think that overall, it's going to be an issue. You know, you, as as a team right now in the NBA, shooting is a premium. And there's a Facts. reason why he may stress that at his introductory press conference because that's how you win basketball games. That's kind of how Boston was able to be so dangerous. Like, even though they did have, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, that had elite floor spaces, Al Horford, and, and elite yeah. floor spacing big, like smart. You know, there's guys up and down the roster that were able to hit routine, timely open threes. And for a team that's kind of learning how to gel together, you need easy baskets and you need to be able to convert those open looks. So, you know, if, if you don't, if you lose Kevin, 
that's a big loss in the shooting department. And if you don't replace that, that's going to be a big problem. Yeah, that's facts. I think um, one thing about uh, Coach Adoka's offense in Boston, I think they were top five in attempts. They were top five in makes. And I think they were top 10 in the uh, threes efficiency. So he does really emphasize that 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 side. But, you know, I do, you know, one thing he did say in his press conference is that he's he's not a guy. He looks at what he has on the roster and adjusts to that rather than, yeah. you know, the, the previous regime, which is a little more rigid with uh, their approach to, to the game. So you hope he can adjust. OK, let's let's talk about the article that you just dropped today. Uh, the Rockets Dylan Brooks on offense, Marcus Smart's fit in Memphis uh, uh, on your ecosystem series. Um, now one thing I was one of the, I'm very skeptical. I still am. I know your article was great. How about Dylan Brooks? <laughs> yes. I, it's, and you pointed it out because this is what I've been saying the whole time. Like he, it's okay. Like if he has, um, John Morant, all NBA guard, cool. Right. He, he can play his role. And sometimes he got out of, out of his role a little bit. You got, um, you know, uh, what's his name? SGA on team Canada. Okay, all in first team all NBA. I can play the role. Yeah. Does that translate to Jalen Green? That's you feel me? And that's why I think, yeah, and you're right. And that's why I think it's gonna come down to E to step in and kind of outline. Now, obviously, these are grown men that should be able to, you know, get things in order themselves. And the hope is that once camp opens, the hierarchy will be established pretty quickly. But these are guys that are coming in with things to prove. Like, Van Vliet had a down season. Dylan had a down season. Like, they're, they're coming in to a team, and they're, they're going to assume major leadership positions, right? Now, the hope is that Dylan doesn't come in and, and thinks that, no, this is, like... So, do you remember whenever Trevor Reza first came to Houston and, and they put yeah. him in this role that he wasn't designed for and he had... A really inefficient season scoring and yeah. just all this pressure on him. That's that's kind of the worst case scenario for Dylan. But if he comes in and teaches these guys defense first, you know, have that culture, have that dog mentality, then offensively, I think things will work out. It might not be perfect. There's going to be some ups and downs because Dylan's going to do what Dylan wants to do at the end of the day. But I still think as a basketball player, he's smart enough to be able to adapt to his surroundings, right? So this isn't Team Canada that you're stepping into. You're not surrounded right. by Lou Dort and Shea Alexander. You know, this is a young team trying to get from phase one to phase two. The hope is that you can pair with a Van Vliet. You can pair with the Jalen Green, Jabari, Shangun, and teach them how to win and teach them how to be unselfish basketball players. You know, Houston's biggest flaw last season was a lack of identity. You know, it felt yeah. like guys were playing for themselves. It felt like people didn't have any interest in sharing the ball. They, they, they didn't care about taking good shots. Everything was either a highlight play or, or a strikeout. So if Dylan can come in and, you know, be a tertiary, you know, even a fourth ball handler at times and just keep things even keeled, then I think they'll be better off than they were last season. Yeah, and and one thing you you did speak on is um, how the coach uh, for Team Canada was using him, um, right. which I thought you know I'm I'm really honestly I'm impressed with a lot of the FIBA coaches. There's yeah. a lot of great coaches in the world. Shangun's coach, 
um, the way they were using them around the court. Maybe it's just we're just starved of it. I'm I'm, I'm going to leave Steven Silas alone. But uh, <laughs> Shangun's coach, the way they use him. But D- Dylan, like you said, the empty yeah. corner uh, pick and rolls, using him in a slot a lot to kind of yeah, – and the teams, yeah. they just, you know, with basically disrespect them. Um, I guess their scouting yeah. report says leave him open, and he punished them for that. Yeah. Cutting, um, being a you know a secondary ball handler, right. attacking closeouts, all things that you I think easily scale up into the NBA. Um, you could see him just just playing off of. And honestly, I think a lot of the stuff, the pressure that Jalen Green possibly provides, and Fred VanVleet provides, and Jabari yeah. and Shangun. Because, um, you know, the bigs he was playing with on Team Canada aren't as dynamic as Shangun is. Yeah. He's playing with Dwight And some Powell. of the things. Like, yeah, yeah, with, yeah. With, no, with no, all respect no, you to Dwight Powell, but... <laughs> random Shang- random Shang- slug at Dwight Powell, but yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think I, I really think, to your point, um, if you're a Rockets fan, you should be excited. Just just off the sheer optimism of what legitimate basketball looks like, right? Like, for, for, for years, you guys suffered watching, you know, a team try to put together a, a serviceable half-court offense, and it, it wasn't that for a long time. Now, you know, you have a fully revamped... And I, I, really think the, I really think the value is going to come from the assistance in terms of being able to really hone in on guys' developments and being able to really sit guys down and teach them the game. Like, Thanks. just looking at what they're able to do in Summer League. Like, the word I got back from Summer League was that it was run like... it was. It was you it was either in or out. There was no gray area with the team. Like the coaching was A one. Those guys all fell in line immediately. Even players that were coming to observe practice were seeing that this is not the same Rockets team from twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three. This is a different regime. So I, I do think that those guys are in store for a restoration of sorts and kind of a renaissance because it's new life. Like this is a new season. Okay. You, you've had an injection of talent and, and veteran wisdom and experience to a locker room that was full of kids. Right. And and now it's going to be business first or maybe business casual, but it's still going to be business first. So I, I do think that, you know, good times are here for those guys. Big facts. And I, you know, so it's, it's, it's almost, um, I would say uh, it's it's great for the Rockets that they have the, the, this many vets on the team and all these experienced coaches going through what they're going through now for as sure. a team because um, what Kevin Porter has brought on the team is some adversity, and they're going to have to fight through that because obviously, as you know, you're a reporter, the questions are going to come when training camp starts. Yeah. And people are going to start asking. So having the veterans there for them to lean on to be able to kind of pivot to what – a lot of fans were excited to see. It's yeah. an exciting season for us, um, I, and I just think that that that's something that um, shouldn't really put a dark cloud over the the guys that aren't in this situation. So hopefully, yeah. we can that's separate. A, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, let's try to separate what's going on with Kevin and his situation, and you know, the, and I hope that justice is swift. And, and, and righteous in that situation and everything gets investigated and taken care of. But also let's not cast a shadow over the the guys that are doing things the right way, taking care of their business, getting ready to play this season. Um, I want to, I want to put you on the spot real quick. Okay. So for the Rockets, you know, the over under is 31 and a half, right. Um, for, uh, for their win totals 
Or is it 30, 30.5 or 31 and a half? What, what do you see them falling as this season, even in light of, of, of the roster change that's about to occur? I'm going to put them right now at 32, 32 wins. Okay, slightly I, over. I think they have enough to get it done. Where it's going to show is if the starting unit can raise their collective defensive efficiency from, I think they were 20, they might have been 29th or 30th last season. Yeah. If you can get it to 22, 21, 20, like just out of the, trying to escape the bottom 10, at least the, for sure the bottom five, but if you can creep up on the, the first two thirds of the league, you know, really get things going and force turnovers, you might have a chance at, because if you look back at their season, there were at least 10 games that they threw away just off the lack of pure inexperience, right? Yeah. So they, they won 22 games. Realistically, they could have won 29. Right? Yeah. Just because of sheer talent, even as young players. So if these guys coming in, they're able to kind of bridge that gap and take over the, in those fourth quarters where inexperience kind of, you know, washed everything away. You could easily see them winning 32, 33 games. And then we're not even talking about the potential of them adding somebody in season. Like, you know, things come up, injuries happen. They have enough assets yeah. to get deals done. Like, there's so many other factors that can play into, you know, the situation of, of how their season can go. So, um, if I, I would take slight over right now, slight over. Slight over. Okay. Now, let me ask you this Would that be a disappointing season for them? In their eyes. Well, if, they, if they won 32 games? Yeah. It depends on how far they are from the play-in. So if if the last season, Dallas missed the play-in and they won. It was like 38 or something like that? Or, something like that. Yeah. So um, if 10th play or if 10th place wins, let's say 39 games, right? And you win 32. Yeah. Is it a failure? Yeah, you could say that because of yeah. all the money you invested, for sure. Um, but that's still a 10-game a jump. That's nothing to scoff at, right? So it's going to be disappointing because, you know, the expectation is getting back to the playoffs. Yeah. Right? But if there's a reasonable growth, a reasonable jump, I don't think it's going to be, you know, everything's crashing down. But if they win anything less than... Like if they if they finish the season twenty six and fifty six, yeah, that'd be yeah. Something's gonna happen. Yeah, something went wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah something went wrong. Somebody but, somebody got to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but thirty two, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't. You no, know, ring the alarm. Now I've I've always had them thirty five to forty wins. I think you think about last year's team. I mean, the what you were alluding to, the wheels fell off a lot in the fourth quarters for a lot yeah. of games. And when the veteran teams turned up, you know, a lot of teams will play with their food till it's time to win, then everybody yeah. gets serious. And that's where we would fall off. I think the addition of Fred and Dylan is huge. And I think the subtraction of the Knicks of the world. Um, you know, I love Ty Ty, but you know, he wasn't ready really to be playing. Yeah. Um, the Josh Christophers of the world, the, you know, some of the guys that we had playing serious minutes for us, yeah. you replacing that with bona fide, you know, Fred's case, uh, champion. Um, even, uh, some of the peripheral characters like Jacques Londale and, uh, uncle Jeff coming into the team. Yeah. 
I honestly think that um, that's worth at least 15 wins. So, um, I, you know, I'll have them between 35 and 40. The Kevin Porter thing does kind of, that's something that I think we all need to assess going forward, the implications for that for the team. But um, I still think, like you said, they have a lot of talent, yeah. um, great coaching staff. And for the, you know, honestly, an underrated part of this is going into the games without a disadvantage of the coaching. Yeah. And we're going to be either even or better, uh, to my opinion, than a lot of teams going into Almost this year. Nice. Yeah. Almost nights, which is huge. All right, man. Appreciate you for coming through, bro. What is what is up with you? Like, what what you got um, going on? I know you just dropped the article. What's what's up on the horizon for uh, for Kelly Eco? Uh, I got something on on LP coming. Hopefully, right before the season starts. Just looking at his growth, um, the connection with him and Jalen Green. Actually, the two man the two man bond. Um, something tied into his. You know, the more. LP learned English the easier it was for those guys to connect on the mm. floor so stuff like that then obviously stuff around the league Memphis what the Spurs have cooking you know Orlando um, but as far as Houston's concerned just really tapping into what this year means right because this is such a big year for those guys in terms of everything has been building up to this moment right like you guys suffered post James you know you had to I was there. All the, I was there at the game, seeing those lineups of Kyrie <laughs> Thomas and yeah, Spalding and yeah, out of pulse and, and just kind of building towards this flexibility of the summer and going out and adding a, a Van Vliet that, that a lot of people didn't think was even going to look at Houston, but you know, money talks, and then you bring in Dylan yep. Brooks was going to give them an, a chip on their shoulder. Was coming in with with a chip on his shoulder and just email. You know everything that they've been like. It's, it's it's a lot going on, and it's a lot riding on this season. But I do think that uh, things should work out. You know, for the better for those guys. Yes, sir, man. Appreciate you, dog. Yes, sir.